Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to 321 No Kidding. Bobby the Awesome here. I'm happy to announce that I have Justin on the show with me today. And we have an amazing conversation about addiction and life. And he was just phenomenal. Dropped so much value here that I can't wait for you to hear him, hear what he has to say. So without any further ado, here's my friend, Justin. Welcome, Justin Brian to 321 No Kidding podcast. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. (laughs) Oh, you're welcome. I'm excited because you have a whole lot of topics and things that are relative to my audience that we're going to chat about today. So if you can kick us off, maybe tell us a little about yourself and where you're from. Um, Well, I'm actually from Canada, a little town of 18,000 people called Salmon Arm in British Columbia. Uh, For those of you that don't really know Canada, it's about five hours to Vancouver on the Pacific coast, uh, maybe five hours to Calgary, if you know that. But we're a nice little hub um, to both cities. We're right on the lake. So we have a Shushot Lake, which is very beautiful. It's large. Uh, it's just a nice little community to raise the sun in. But um, my story stems from a lifetime uh, riddled with uh, depression that I didn't really know that I had. Um, also, I battled with addiction to alcohol and for better parts of 16 years almost. And then finally, uh, cocaine got in- introduced when I was 24. But... Uh, I battled that as well for the next 10 years of my life until I was about 34 years old. Wow. Wow. The depression seems to be a common theme across addiction. I think it comes in different levels and it doesn't really matter what addiction it is. It just seems to be there. And can you tell us a little bit about your journey with, with the alcohol, with the cocaine, what you're breaking point was kind of take us through how your story unfolded yeah well you know what I didn't actually really even start drinking until I was about 19 years old I think I drank maybe three or four maybe five times up until that age but once I started drinking and I realized who it made me be it made me become more confident um more outgoing. I felt invincible. I got this automatic, oh, people like me. People think I'm funny. I need this. It literally became a friend of mine to where I brought it with me everywhere. Like for me, I actually had an algorithm of drinking. So I would drink this much before I went out. I would drink this much at the bar so I could talk to this girl. I drink this much so I could dance. Like it wasn't down to a science or a tea or anything, but I would drink to feel confident so I could do things. But it really kind of stemmed from like growing up, I was, I hit puberty late. So I hit puberty in grade 11. Um, I mean, I was smart in school. I I got girls, but that didn't really matter to me. I was was kind of behind all the guys. Um, Like I wasn't as big, I wasn't as strong. Um, And I just wanted to be part of the guys kind of thing. But all my friends were, better athletics than me like I wasn't I wasn't bad by any means but they were just all better than me and I really just wanted to be part of the crew and um finally I just it's when I first started touching alcohol that I 
I got that false confidence, false feeling of just invincibility that I just continued to do it. And I knew from a very young age that why I drank, what it did for me. I knew I probably shouldn't, but I never thought to the fact that what it was doing and how it affected my life was going to be, was a problem. Like I, did, I didn't, yeah, I didn't, I didn't see it as a problem. I just saw, I was like, okay, well, I need this for now, but whatever, it's, it's okay. Like, I never really had that role model to teach me that drinking was bad or anything, but like, I was always against drug use until I was 24. I was, I mean, I smoked marijuana when I was 21, but I didn't really like it. It gave me the munchies and uh, it gave me anxiety too. So I didn't really, I didn't really smoke it, but after a while I started to smoke it every now and then and I would sit on the couch and talk politics with my buddies, watch infomercials and then eat what was ever in the fridge. But then at one point at 24 years old, I touched cocaine and instantly, I don't, you know, I don't even remember the night I got pretty drunk. And the next day my buddy's like, man, you were hilarious last night. And just by him telling me that I was funny, it was a switch. Then I was like, oh, I need this. Man, for people, and it's it's funny because people already liked me. I just, I didn't like myself. So that's when the, that's where I didn't realize what depression really meant. Like I never even knew those words really back then. And I don't think really a lot of people knew what those words meant. Like for me, I, I remember having, at 24, having a conversation with my friend about depression, thinking that, okay, depression is just an excuse. You know, it's for the week. Man up. Go to work. Go do your job. Stop making excuses for yourself. So. I didn't really realize that I was drinking because I was depressed. I knew I was drinking for the wrong reasons, but I didn't really know that it was because I was sad and I was missing out on something. Yeah, that's a good point. I noticed I still, even though I'm in this arena where I talk to a lot of addicts, I've been exposed to people who've been depressed. I think there's still so much more to learn what causes it, how to handle it. I think it's different for every person. Mm-hmm. And as you're talking about your two drug of choices and going through my head, it's like, okay, well, alcohol is another depressant, but then cocaine is not, it, it's the other end of the spectrum. So I'm trying to wrap my head what, around what that would look like. It would, it would seem like it would just be chaos. Oh, it was chaos. I was, you know what? People started like, I was, I would get blackout drunk all the time, like all the time at 24 years old. And the cocaine would kind of bring you back, but the cocaine would make you more talkative or some like, but for me being ADHD, so I was diagnosed with clinical depression, um, social and general anxiety, uh, ADHD at, at 30 actually. Um, and uh, I sustained seven concussions throughout life. Then those are just ones that were documented through junior hockey, through car accidents, wrestling, I got sucker punched. Um, I had post-concussion syndrome, um, and I didn't really take an effect that with depression, head injuries, cocaine use, and alcohol abuse, it really took a toll on my brain, and uh, really took a toll for the worst. So it actually amplified the depression, and where I thought alcohol was helping me, I thought it was a friend. Like if I had it beside me, I'm like, oh man, I felt like I felt this comfort level come over me, to where it actually got to the point where if I just had alcohol and like cocaine with me just beside me and I was alone I was way more comfortable than being out with people hmm. because alcohol doesn't judge you cocaine doesn't judge you it makes you feel good 
but I even like I ended up seeing a counselor, addiction counselor, and she's like, "Do you like feeling hungover?" I'm like, "Well, no," but she's like, "What about blacking out?" I'm like, "Well, honestly, those days that I black out, at least I'm not sad. I don't know what I feel." Ah, uh, wow, wow. Sorry, I like totally wouldn't have made that connection. That's a very profound thing for someone to figure out. I think. Mm-hmm. And so- she didn't. She didn't really get it either. <laughs> well, so at least I wasn't sad. Yeah. At least I wasn't suicidal. Yeah. I mean, they talk about self-medicating and I can really relate to what you're saying about how it changes your personality and how you show up in the world. Um, but I wouldn't have drawn that line about, I mean, I guess numbing and numbing sadness, but I don't know, just the way you just stated it was totally mind blowing to me. I, so when I was 24 years old, I was living in Vancouver and I was walking down the Camby street bridge and I looked up and I'm like, Holy cow. I'm an alcoholic. And I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm too smart for that. I can't be an alcoholic. No way. There's no way I'm an alcoholic. So I just kept doing on what I do started doing. And by 28, I kept losing jobs and I came home, moved back to salmon arm and I started seeing a counselor and like I've been to 45 addiction appointments or almost 50 i've been to rehab twice 77 days away from my family i've been to over 100 doctor's appointments 10 psychologists 10 psychiatrists eight different meds on trying to get better but i came to the realization that i really needed help and that's where i came up with the three a's the accept or it's admit it or yeah accept that you have it admit it and then you ask for help and I asked for help, but I just, I still couldn't quit. I wasn't making my appointments and I just, I couldn't figure out why, like, why do I don't want to drink? Why do I want to do this? And it's, I became at 28, I became suicidal but for last, for pretty much the last six years of my life up until January 4th, 2019, I was suicidal every single day. I was thinking of ways I could do it. Um, I ended up in the hospital three times with IVs hooked up to me because I had alcohol poisoning because I just wanted to let go. There's days I was just laying in my bed. I was scared. I was scared of who I was, but it's not like I wanted to die. It's just like, I didn't want to hurt anymore. Um, I tell how people ask me like, what do you mean? Like, it's, it's not, a, it's just a feeling. But for me, it was like, I explained to people, it's like, imagine watching a loved one choke and you're trying to grab at it but you can't get it. So you just see them choke and choke. And that's kind of what I felt like. And it got to the point where one day I woke up and I had a knife in my bed and there was blood on the stain, the stains of blood on the sheets and my wrists were cut. And I was like, holy cow. And I actually had to wear makeup on my wrists to work and I wore um, wristbands so people couldn't even tell. And then nobody knew, I didn't tell anybody. It got to the point where I actually became an organ donor. Um, I got milk thistle from my liver and kidney flush from my kidneys. And I was preparing because I was preparing myself. I was preparing myself to end it, but I wanted to be able to donate my body to someone that needed it. You said you woke up to the knife in the blood. You don't remember doing that. No, I remember coming home, but vaguely. And you're married, have your family, all of that at this time? Uh, Well, right now I do. So 
it got to the point where so me and my girlfriend we were actually broken up at the time but we hooked we always stayed in touch but i was i was a mess i was drinking i was up and down emotional i was a roller coaster to be with and uh i just wanted to be alone but we ended up we ended up hooking up on my birthday and she ended up getting pregnant so we tried to get back together and that was the first time i went to rehab but when i got out of rehab i was sober for three months but I went to rehab for the wrong reasons. I went to get out of town. I went and spent 42 days in a house with 60 other guys, working out, eating six times a day, gained like 10 pounds. Um, but I wasn't, I wasn't there. I wasn't there mentally. I was just there. I mean, it sucked. I hated it every second of it. But when I got out, I'm like, I'm, I told my uncle who picked me up, I'm like, well, you know what? I'm not, I'm not quitting drinking forever. I'm like, I'm just taking a break just to make sure I'm okay. And basically a month out of being out and being sober, I started drinking again. I'm like, it's okay. I, I got this. I got this. And then finally, six months after my kid was born, uh, I wasn't drinking a lot, but when I drank, I'd get blackout. And it'd be every other weekend or sometimes every weekend. Not during the week, but then I'd miss work because I'd be so sick that I couldn't keep water down. Finally, she's just like, she left. She's like, I can't do this. So she left. And then I kept on my downward spiral. I'd miss work. I was lucky enough to have a job at a mill where they're like, listen, like, we, we love you here. You're a hard worker, but you need to get help. And then they would, I went on leave the first time myself and again. And then finally, they're just like, listen, go get some help. And that's the second time I went to rehab, but just before that, I got to the point where um, I had my three-year-old son, and I was like, I was starting to crumble. I was starting to feel awful. So I took him to the store. We walked to the store. I got him a bag of candy, and I think maybe a bag of chips or something. And we walked back. When we got there, I put him down in front of the TV. I turned on a movie, and I gave him the bag of candy. And I just stood there behind him and I broke down. I started crying and I was staring at the back of his head and I was thinking, I'm like, man, am I ever going to see him score his first goal in hockey? Am I going to be able, am I going to make it to teach him how to ride a bike? Will I be there to see him graduate or even walk down the aisle? Like I just, I was at that point where I couldn't see myself in his life in the future. And it got so bad that I'm like, I started thinking, I'm like, you know what? Maybe Maybe he's better off without me. When you get that deep suicidal, like you start to think the bad thoughts are probably better off, if you know what I mean. Like if I if I leave, people can go on and be healthier without me. Like my son can have a healthy, stable father, a guy that's in his life every day, and is going to be there. He's going to feed him. He's going to wake up with him. He's not going to be a drunk. But I started getting those thoughts and then it just it kind of it started spiraling even more but those yeah those thoughts were they're just constantly in my head just if i left him he would be better off wow it's so backwards i thought where you were going with that was i thought that's what you were going to tell me was the turning point was thinking about all these moments that you potentially would miss if you didn't straighten out then mm -hmm. but you're saying it got worse that's just ugh. yeah it started getting worse, but the thing is that I started listening to motivational speaking probably five years ago. I'm like, I want to do that. And it always stuck with me when a bunch of guys started talking about your why and the power of why. 
And so finally I went to rehab again and I went with the purpose of putting my drinking aside. I'm like, you know what? Put that aside. I know I can stop, but so what I, what I like to tell people is you don't choose addiction. However you choose to stay in addiction. The hardest thing about addiction is not quitting, but living in sobriety. So I found that quitting addiction part, stop drinking is fine, but it was everything without the drinking. It was living sober, dealing with people sober, dealing with experiences sober, trying to do everything sober. Like I even got to the point where I was drinking to play hockey, like a game I love. I needed to drink to feel confident on the ice. So I went to rehab with, you know what? Um, why do I drink? Okay, I'm depressed. So why am I depressed? Well, because I feel this, I feel that, I feel this. I'm not where I want to be, and I'm using alcohol for this. So what do I need to do to get better? And honestly, being in rehab, I think what they teach there, like with gratitude, mindfulness, guilt, shame, anger, um, forgiveness, acceptance. Acceptance is a huge one. You know what? And then I know every addict deals with guilt and shame. I don't know if I've ever met an addict that doesn't feel guilty or shameful because they know what they're doing. Right. Yeah. And it's hard. You just want them to understand what you're feeling, but you don't want them to feel it, but you want them to understand. Right. But you don't want them to feel it. Does that make sense? I don't know. <laughs> so I went with that, that in mind, like why, 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 why? And so I went to rehab. I felt great coming out. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to be a speaker. Like I said, a speech there and they loved it. And I really had everything going. I got out. I got a new job. I was a car salesman. Three months in, uh, I'm losing it. Uh, I can't keep my head straight. Um, I'm without the drinking, my social, my social interactions were nothing. I, I self isolated all the time. I was trying to learn, but I was having a hard time. Like in high school, I got good grades and I didn't have to study. Now it's, I'm having a hard time retaining information because I just came out of 16 years of addiction, riddled with head injuries, really confused, um, hating life, depressed. So I was having a hard time retaining information. Finally, I remember one time I just gave my son to my mom and I just started drinking. I started drinking again. I went back on that cycle. However, the one thing I am proud of in my life is that the three years that me and my girlfriend were broken up, I only drank three times when I had my kid myself and not one of them I got drunk. Gotcha. Except for that time, I actually, I handed him to my mom, said, can you watch him? But I never got drunk with him alone. Um, but then that hit. Pardon? He was motivating you on some level. He, yeah, so this is what brings me to how I started kind of recovering. Um, I turned, I started thinking of the why again. So like how I questioned it. And then I'm like, okay, what is my why? I really started thinking, okay, what is my why? Then I started thinking of my son. And I was like, you know what? Instead of thinking of him being better off without me, I started thinking of it as, you know what? I am a good person. What would he miss out if I wasn't here? Could you, I started thinking, I'm like, what if he was at school and some kid walked up to him and it's like, your dad doesn't even love you. He left you. That's how nobody loves you. And I started thinking of being put in that situation because of a, because of a choice I made. And you know what? I know not for not everybody, they're going to, they're going to be able to choose that. And it's hard. I, I am one of the lucky ones that got out of that, that patch. 
right? Because there's so many people that are still stuck there. But I started thinking of that and I'm like, you know what? I got to do something about this. So on January 4th, 2019, after a night of drinking, I was like, I can't do this anymore. So I, I got my mom. I'm like, listen, you need to take me to the hospital. So she took me to the hospital. She, she had no idea what was going on. We got into a room. I said, I need to see a counselor. And with my mom in front of me, my dad left, and the counselor to the right. I finally admitted, I'm like, I have a plan. And that's plan, that plan is to end it. And they're just, holy. Like they, I'm one of those guys that could wear a mask. And you couldn't tell. I mean, you could kind of tell sometimes if I talked about it. But I, one time I had a friend come up to me at the gym. And she's like, why don't you be a personal trainer? And I'm like, ah, no, I'm actually going to school to be a coach and a speaker. She's like, oh, really? How come? And then I told her what was what happened. She's like, holy cow. She's like, I went, to, I graduated with you and I had no idea. Nobody had a clue. Yeah. Because I could put that mask on and, you know, what? I forget how Robin Williams said it, but he's like, usually the, the saddest people like to make people the happiest because they know what it's like to feel sad and they don't want them to feel that. So I would always try to make other people happy or be the one for them to lean on and, and talk to. But it was January 4th, 2019, where I said, you know what? It's time to, time to change. This, this little man needs me. I need me. I found my why. And I know a lot of people say you have to do it for you. But you know what? From being in rehab twice, people reaching out to me, not a lot of people can do it for themselves. They can't. So you find out who you can do it for. It was for my son. But what they don't realize, it always comes back to you. Me getting better for him is getting better for me. Right. I get to see, by him getting to see me more means I get to see him more. So six months after I got out of rehab, I, me and my girlfriend got back together. And I mean, this is, and now I took a couple of life coaching courses, um, a couple of motivational speaking courses, uh, a course with badass Bobby over here. <laughs> I don't know where and, you got that from. <laughs> uh the head shakes you give eric <laughs> yeah um but you know what the rest the rest kind of just start, i've spoken in front of about 400 people about mental health and addiction in three different schools two different businesses actually i went back and i got the opportunity to speak at the mill i used to work at to where a lot of them some of them knew but they didn't know that the severity of it of how deep i was and they thought i was just a partier but I wasn't. When you say mill, just to give clarification, you're in plywood Canada. A paper plywood plant. Plywood, okay. Yeah. yeah. What else do we produce? <laughs> well, wood and, yeah, plywood, paper. I get it. Yeah. But you got to remember, we're 47 countries can hear you, so they might not know what a mill is. Sure, sure. Canadian slang. Just like they might not understand why a Canadian would quit drinking, you know, like it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's an association. Yeah, it's true. So that's awesome. So you're speaking and coaching. Yeah. And as you said, we went to Eric's class together, which was amazing actually for 10 or 12 strangers to come together as tight as we all became. And and so many commonalities amongst us, which is was kind of beautiful too. Um, I think that we have a group of people that'll stay connected probably for life and support each other and champion each other. So tell us about what your future looks like and what you're working on now and 
and what you got out of, maybe even what you got out of class and how it's translating into your life? Uh, well, now I, I have uh, three clients enrolled in my Stronger You project, which is a 12-week personal development program, which is technically 14. So we do a week zero, I call it, where you get your first, we go over um, expectations of each other and what's this going to be like. And then I assign the first week of homework. Then we have 12 weeks of homework and one-on-ones and um, additional support and um, 12 different modules on like on self-limiting beliefs, confidence, mindset, um, vision boarding is a big one, um, non-negotiables, your drivers, all that kind of stuff. Roadblocks is a big one as well. Um, acceptance and forgiveness. I decided to put that one in there. It's just because, you know, what? a lot of people I talk to, they all need to accept something. And what they don't realize is that in acceptance and forgiveness. So if something, somebody does something bad to you, um, you have to accept it because it happened and you have to forgive them. However, acceptance and forgiveness is for you. It's not for them. You don't even have to tell them. We went over this uh, little thing in rehab where we just sat there, their eyes closed and our counselor walked around the room and he talked about, think of that person or situation you need to accept. And he accepted it. And then he's like, you don't have to like it, but it happened. Right. And in our, in the coaching course, I did, we go over acceptance as well. But then he's like, now you have to forgive them. You don't have to tell them you forgive them, but in your mind, picture yourself walking up to them and saying, I forgive you. What you did was uh, whatever you feel like disrespectful or it hurt me or whatever. Um, but you, you can forgive them. Or if it's something else, like, it's how somebody hurt you. You can write them a forgiveness letter saying, this is how you hurt me, but I forgive you for that. So I decided to put that one in there. It's a big one because a lot of people I talk to, they need, they need to forgive someone or accept circumstances. Like for me, I still have situations that I'm working on. I mean, I'm not perfect. I'm not coming out of this thing. I don't need personal development. I mean, I'm pretty much going to work on personal development my whole life because you got to go there. got to, Grow there to go there. Go there to grow there. <laughs> Whatever it is. Oh, I've never heard that one. I like it though. Whatever. You can use it both ways. Go there to grow there. Grow there to go there. Um, but yeah, I put that one in there. Um, it's it's complete now. So I have all, and then I assign one more week and then you get the week 14, I guess is what it is to see how everything went, decompress. And they can see if they still want to work with me or if you know what? They're happy. They're fulfilled. They're motivated to keep crushing life. So is it strictly addicts that come in your program or is it for everyone? No. Um, do you know what I, the one, um, he doesn't struggle with drinking. He wants to get his drinking down, but he doesn't struggle with it. It's, it's just more or less people that want to, they want to be happier in life. They want to find their path. Pappin, their purpose and their passion. There's a new word for you. They want to find their pappin. Pappin. They're purpin. They're purpin. We're, we're growing and going to pappin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're going and growing to pappin. To purpin. Um, no, they want to find, they want to, you know what? The biggest thing is an accountability partner. They, they, it's one thing they need. It's like, so they have to, I give them an accountability sheet that they have to fill in every week to see what they've done, to see where they've been, see what they want to talk about. 
um, and see if they completed that task. They have to hand in their homework on a certain time, right? So it holds them accountable, but it also, it asks them the tough questions that they don't think about that they don't want to answer. So it's, yeah, it's, it's holding them accountable, bringing out, it's looking at what's underneath that rock, getting them clarity and direction on where they want to move in their life. And it's, it's, you know what, it, you don't have to be an addict to, to be unhappy. Right. Well, that's where my brain just went. I've talked about, and I have it downloaded and I haven't read it yet, but the book, the, we are the lucky ones, which I guess is the, the story essentially, and I heard this third hand is that as addicts, we're lucky because we get exposure to all those things you mentioned, forgiveness, acceptance, you know, how to deal with, deal with guilt, shame, all those life skills, gratitude, yeah. meditation, like why are they not just teaching that stuff in school? Save the whole world Ex a lot of trouble. Um, exactly, exactly how I feel. And it's nice because um, last year for the school year, I actually got to volunteer at a boys club and a girls club for kids who were struggling a bit. And it's cool because as a speaker, I get to speak on what I want. I get to speak on what, you know, the thing is, I'm not going to say, okay, this is going to change your life. I'm going to say, hey, this is what helped me change my life. This is how you can implement it. Choose to implement it. Choose not to implement it. It's up to you. But it's, I, the thing is, is that I like to give them options, right? Just like in rehab or being an addict, you got smart recovery, you got AA, NA, rehab, 12-step program. There's all that. And so I like to pick and choose and then, give people options and they can choose what works for us best for them right so i really do think they should teach some of that because that's where i've learned a lot of a lot of what i've learned and honestly like if you're struggling i found that reaching out and finding people like you who struggle with the same things you struggle with um it's build a friendship around that right that somebody who wants to be there or who can talk to you i also like i built a team around me of psychiatrists doctors uh, a psychologist like if you're struggling you do whatever you have to do to get better like there's you don't stop it's gonna be tiring but also i know if there's not a lot of people like me that had had their why have their why right now so you gotta find it but if you're like if you're someone who's listening to this and you're not struggling reach out to somebody who may be struggling. reach out to somebody that um you haven't talked to in a long time like today or this month is suicide awareness month right and on september 10th is now a uh, worldwide suicide prevention day um so i'm planning on releasing a video on that day um it's gonna be like a, a drama kind of what i went through into an introduction of suicide prevention and stuff like that and um but reach out to people people you haven't talked to because you never know lending an ear could save someone's life yeah you said so many things that i am so aligned with the having, well, having, when you're the speaker, you get to say what's important to you. Like, hello, that's why I have a podcast. You know, that's, I, I don't have to, I don't have to do what anybody tells me to do. I get to say my opinion. And then you went into all the different forms of, of recovery. And I love that. Like I'm, I just learned about recovery Dharma. We did a couple weeks about recovery dharma on my evening episodes 
And then I found a recovery Dharma meeting to go to. I haven't dabbled in smart recovery yet, but all these things, I think the more I learn and the more I try to practice, I'm becoming a better human being. But then I can also say, here worlds, here are your options. And I think in the background to all these options that there's more of the, the Justins and the Bobbies of the world, there's this population like emerging that have that same belief that it is as simple as finding your why, having gratitude, um, living with purpose, taking care of ourselves. You said something that referred to boundaries in your class. I don't remember the word you used, but essentially protecting ourselves from the people, like knowing when to say no. What was the, yeah. word, what was the word you used? I don't know. It was one of your modules, but I, I took it. Acceptance as, and forgiveness? Roadblocks? No. Guilt and shame? Self-limiting beliefs? Non-negotiables? Your big driver? Non-negotiables. That's non-negotiables. With non-negotiables was better. Okay. That's so. Better. Yeah. So that's that's a that's a good one. It's it's your, your non-negotiable list. It's called your non-negotiable list. The promise to yourself. So this is a list. Uh, that I get people to do that they write down their non-negotiables um, like something you want to complete or something how you want to live and if you break that you know you break that but by keeping those non-negotiables that you make keeping the promise to yourself you actually start to build credibility with yourself which then in turn you start to build confidence with yourself so all my modules are actually put in a way that they're all kind of linked everything's linked but they're separate, but they'll build into each other. Yeah. 100%. But the non-negotiable list is a big one because like how many times you say, I'm going to start Monday. I'm going to start Monday. <laughs> and then you don't start Monday. And you're like, and I find myself I'm like, Matt, because I, I still struggle with sugar every now and then. Like it's that quick fix. It's I want to eat it because I can eat it. <laughs> um, but you, you quit drinking and you, you have that sugar craving. It's not, it's late at night. I get it. It's super late. Like, uh, 10 11 i want sugar and uh or i can fall asleep for an hour and we put one and i'm like creating sugar but it's something that i'm like okay i'll just i gotta start monday no you, you know what you start now you stick by it it's gonna be hard but give yourself some grace right so i get them to fill it on a negotiable list and it's is it daily is that one weekly is that okay i want to read okay is it daily by date or weekly bi-weekly or how many pages do you want to read? Or how many times do you want to go to the gym? Um, stuff like that, where it doesn't have to be a daily non-negotiable list. It can be once a year, okay? You know what? I have to go travel for a week by myself. But make it a non-negotiable so you go. It's about setting deadlines and adhering to those deadlines. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for sharing a little bit more about your perspective on it. Like I said, I heard boundaries. And maybe it's because that's something closer to me, but it's the same concept. No, you promise yes. yourself something. So say you promise you're going to not put yourself in stressful situations because you're protecting your sobriety or whatever. And, and, and I'm saying this and trying to tie your message in because this is stuff we talk about all the time on the show is, so if I'm protecting myself and I'm not going to be around toxic people because it makes me upset, stressed, tired, angry, wants to use, want to gamble, want to drink, all those things, then it's a non-negotiable to have that person in your life or to deal with them in such and such a way. And all that stuff takes practice, the inside work and the outside work that you're talking about. Um, 
Yeah. Well, the thing is, is that uh, healthy boundaries are huge and they're key to having a happier life. Like sometimes I said this to a client and like saying no to someone else is like saying yes to yourself because I'm one of those guys that I'm, I'm trying to be more diligent on this because I want to take on the world. Yeah. I'll help you with that. I'll help you with that. I'll be there. I'll be here. Like, you know what? You don't have to save the world. You, but you, I mean, if you really feel that you need to help them, then do it. But also don't overwork yourself. Um, and don't be afraid to say no, because sometimes people come to you because you say yes. Right. Is there anything that I'm forgetting that we wanted to chat about? Uh, no, not really. Well, I was, if you're struggling, I just want to say uh, speak out, speak up and speak often and if you can't find someone to listen, you just keep, you keep talking until somebody eventually will, because you know what? Yeah. The perp, I think everyone's purpose of life is to be happy first off. And I mean, if you're struggling with an addiction, the number one most important thing in your life right now is for you to get healthy. I know because without a healthy you, can you really be healthy for others? Like my son was and my girlfriend now because we're back together they're the most important things in my life right now but without a healthy justin i mean can i really be the father husband that i, I should be i can be right. so when you realize that uh right now my sobriety or whatever you're struggling with is number one it's it's going to be a tough battle because it is your recovery and you know people put off self-care but self-care is the best care Absolutely. So make some time, time, time blocking, <laughs> make some time to, uh, you know what, to take care of yourself. Like I started journaling. I don't journal anymore really, but I, I'm trying to do, I do content now. So, but I, I journal, I did gratitude journals, like I journal my feelings and then it's kind of cool because you get to see over time your growth actually on how dark your, your journal can be to progressively over time okay it's getting better oh there's a slip okay it's getting better oh there's a slip but then you're doing how many steps forward one step back and it's just it's gradual growth you don't want you, we're not looking to go from one to a nine happiness right you know you want to go from one to a two and then two to a three and then maybe three to a five but it was doing mindfulness just stopping yourself in the moment and be like wow you know what that tree's really nice sir i'm just really happy to be here um, what else I start, you know, what podcasts really helped me. Uh, it was listening to vulnerable men because I always had that man up idea in your head and listening to like, I'm six, three, two thirty, muscles works out guy. And nobody ever would have guessed it, but it was listening to other guys like me saying, Hey, you know what? Hey, it's like Lewis house. The mask of masculinity is like, it's okay to be vulnerable, man, but you gotta, or Pedro's Cooley. And he says, you got to man up by taking responsibility for your choices, but asking, he said once in his book, he lost, lost a lot of money by trying to fix the sprinkler at his house, by not admit, by just trying to prove to his wife, he could do it. So instead of hiring somebody to do it, he missed appointments and missed out on work where he could have made more money by just trying to prove it, that he could fix it. So simple things like that, like it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to not be okay, but just go ask for help. There's, you're not alone. You know, 
Literally. Don't suffer in silence. There's people just like you. Let's band together. So. Yeah, it's powerful stuff. Wow. Well, thank you very much for being here. I totally appreciate it. Yeah, no, it was a good conversation. It was that was a fun course, and uh, you know what? I didn't I didn't have as much confidence to do videos, and then Eric just got me doing vid videos, and it's just you had to do it. And it's just like you know, in recovery, you're you're gonna have missteps. It's not about perfection. It's about just doing the work, right? Don't be afraid to do the work. You do the work, and you stay consistent. You're you're gonna get better. Right. Yeah, I'm so glad we had this conversation because I didn't realize how aligned we were on so many things. I promise I did thank him for being with me on this day and having such a an interesting discussion about both his journey and where he's at. So I will have I will have Justin's contact info in the show notes if if you want to reach out to him, learn more about his program anything like that. He's just very relatable. And I've enjoyed getting to know him a little more on the show. So, all right, beautiful people. We can't forget our positive quote, which it feels like I've been doing a lot of lately since I've been out of our normal routine. I enjoyed the emphasis that Justin put on acceptance. So that's going to be the theme of our quote today. And no surprise why I loved it. It's from J.K. Rowling. Understanding is the first step to acceptance. And only with acceptance can there be recovery. Have a great day, beautiful people. And you're well understood.